pastor asked us all if, if when in his absence, if we would preach on the attributes of God, if we would consider to do that. So he gave us a list of attributes. And right about that time uh, that he gave that, I, I came through uh, Psalm 139. And man, my attention was just arrested to this psalm. Problem is, it deals with two attributes of God. So I have to deal with two tonight, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be longer. It just means that I'm going to give more of an overview of, of Psalm 139 because I uh, study in it, I, I think that you'll know, and, and any Bible reader could turn to one, Psalm 139, you'd be familiar with it, and you would know just on a casual read how rich this chapter is. And it is, it is quite um, uh, a psalm. So I don't, I don't intend to wring the text dry at all today because there it, is, it, is, it is a good text and a wonderful text. But I'm excited to, to really kind of pull out a couple of the attributes that I see in here about God, which would be God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. And there is nothing he does not know. And that God is omnipresent and he is everywhere. He's God. And I think that we'll come to, I hope, uh, just some conclusions that David came to as David here is meditating about God. It's what this psalm was born out of, just a meditation of who God is. And so um, if you would stand and turn, many have already turned there to Psalm 139. I'm going to read the whole chapter um, and then we'll, we'll get into the preaching. Psalm 139, verse number one, David, the author says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Uh, he, he says in verse number 12, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. He, he really just says, God, uh, because of who you are, the, the darkness, it might be dark to me, but the darkness to you is like light. And so he goes on to say in verse number 13, in a wonderful section of this passage, the whole thing is, but he says, For thou hast possessed my reins. And has covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in the secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. He's just saying, uh, when I was in the womb. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, when, when I was an embryo. Thine eyes did see my substance. 
And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Now that can be somewhat of a confusing verse. He's just saying this. You knew everything about me. You knew what I would look like. You you knew my members, my, my fingers, my hair color. You knew it all before I was born. And then he just bursts out and says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Uh, God thinks about you. He thinks precious thoughts about you. Verse number 19, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord. I hate thee, and am, am, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Man, what a wonderful psalm. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this truth. And Lord, I just ask that you'd help me to communicate the word in a way that um, would be helpful to your people. And I know uh, that, that uh, you want to be a help to them. And I, I pray that you'd allow me to do so. And so thank you for being good to us, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, do you remember uh, as a kid being amazed at your parents' ability to know when you were doing something wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think that we all, at least, you know, you've heard the, the phrase, you know, it's like they've got eyes in the back of their head. And, and it, it's, it's almost as though the mothers particularly have, have got it. It's like they've got the eyes in the back of, of their head. And, and I remember being amazed that they or my parents could be in the other room and I'm in a totally different room across the way and, and they would know exactly what I was doing. I was amazed at it until I became a parent. You know, and then, and then it's, it's, really, it's really not that difficult. You know, kids, they, they think they're getting away with things oftentimes. And listen, kids get away with probably some things that, that we never know about, and that's just the nature of it. But I, I think that, um, you know, kids don't get away with as much as what they think they might be able to get away with. And so, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's amazing that they're, you know, they're in the other room and, and uh, you, you hear the creaky cupboard door open and pulling out the clanking pans that they know they're not supposed to play with. And you say, I'll just make up a hypothetical name. Kate, <laughs> are you in the cupboard? And then you hear the clanking of the pans going back into the cupboard and the creaking of the door shut. And then you hear a, no. <laughs> so not only are they uh, sitting there, they're also lying. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's parents have other senses that help them identify when kids are doing wrong, but oftentimes it's not, it's not the noise that's the problem. 
It's the lack thereof at times. And, and, and parents know that too. I mean, and every one of us have, have been in a place where it's like, man, you come home, you're sitting at home and it's like, you're just in, enjoying the nice, serene, quiet. And then all of a sudden you're like, why is it quiet? <laughs> and then you get up and you go into the other room and you find, I don't know, let's say Kate and she's uh, got uh, diaper cream spread all over her and her several an little, not animals, but, but baby dolls. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the nature of parents. You know, that parents know more than, than what the kids think that they know. And, and the fact is that because we're just, we're just present in kids' lives and we know them as we do, both, both good and, and bad, um, our involvement in, in their, their lives, uh, the, the, it, God demands our involvement in their lives. That's what I'm trying to say. Because we're there and because we know them, we're involved in their lives. We have to, because we know what they're doing, if they're sinning, if they're doing something that's wrong, we have to be involved as parents. We have to be. And, and can I say this, that the attributes of God, particularly his omniscience and his omnipotence, demand that God is involved in our lives. He can't be anything else other than that. He can't be anything else other than involved. I'm so thankful that he is involved in our lives and that he guides us to right and rebukes us when we're, when we're, when we're wrong because we need that. We, we need God to tell us when we're right and we need God to rebuke us when we're wrong. I'm just so thankful that we have a God who is involved in our lives. It's a blessing. And, 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 and I would just say that because God is so involved in our lives, it demands a response from his people. It does. Now I'm going to talk about that here later on as we get to the, to the message, Lord willing. And there's many opinions about Psalm 139 as to the situation and to what David's going through. And really nobody lands on a solid thing, so I'm not going to speculate. But what we do know is that Psalm 139 is a psalm where David, he is just meditating on the attributes of God and the wonders and, and the glories of God. And as he is sitting there meditating, he first starts off in these first, particularly these six verses, uh, first six verses and scattered throughout the text as well too but particularly the first six he he recognizes and meditates upon the omniscience of God but David actually felt restricted by the realization that God knows every aspect of his life no he felt restricted he felt overwhelmed by the fact that God knows every bit of who he is and what he does and what he thinks and so he even says God thou search me and thou hast, thou hast known me and he explains uh, that God knows everything about him and he really says this in verse number two that, that uh, David said the Lord knows his every movement so he, he says God you know my, my uprising and you know my, my down sitting you know everything there is to know about me thou understandeth my thoughts afar off and the word understandeth that has to do not just with the thoughts, but with the motives. And so you could even go and look at verse number three and he uses the word com compasseth and, and it really deals with the same thing. It deals with the winnowing of grain, the separating what is worthless and what is valuable. And he, he's really saying there in verse number three that God, you know that when I'm doing, that what I'm doing, you know that I've, I've, if I have the right motive or you know if I have the wrong motive. God, you know everything about me. And, and then he goes on to say, thou, uh, thou understandest my thoughts afar off. And afar off has to do with time. So he's saying, God, you know everything about me. You know when I get up, you know when I get down, you know my motive behind I do it and you know it before I do it. God, you know everything. 
And then he goes on and, and, and says, you are acquainted with my ways in verse number three. But he talks about really the acquainted with his ways is that God is so familiar with his, his activities. It is though it's habitual to God. So it's like David could do something new or David could have some new thought or go some new direction or to go some new place. But God knows it's like, like, it's, like it's the back of its hand. It, it, God knows it like, like he's done it a trillion times because God knows everything about who David is. And he knows everything about who we are. And then he says in verse number four, four that David, uh, said the Lord uh, knows uh, every word that's on his tongue before he even says it. There's not a, a word that comes to David's mouth that, that David says, God didn't know I was going to say that. No, God knows the words that David says before he's going to say it. And he, he knows the words that David was going to say, but didn't say. He knows. And then David comes to this realization that, that, he, that God knows every little bit of his life and every single detail. And when, and when David understood this, he felt really, he felt overwhelmed and restricted by it. Look at verse number five and six, because he says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And I, and I understand that those verse and, verses can be taken in a positive sense, but they're really not there in a, uh, with a positive emphasis. It's that the psalmist feels trapped and overwhelmed by the very knowledge of God. He feels restricted that God knows everything about him. Because he uses the word beset, and, and the word beset means, means the, the besieging and the restricting. Come on, you, you know what it's like if a, in, in the Bible, if somebody comes to, uh, uh, an army comes to war against a city, they besiege the city, and they do so, so that the people can't exit or people can't come in. And so there's really just two options, either you surrender or you fight. And so he's there and he's saying, God, it's like you've beset me behind and before you are all around me and I have nowhere to go. And he says that, that he, he talks about the hand that he's laying upon him and, and that and so many times in the Bible and even in this passage later on, it talks about the hand of God being one of power and one of leading and one of guiding. But that's not the word for hand he uses here. He uses a different word that's called, it, it refers to his palm and it has the idea of a cupping. That, that God would take his hand and the knowledge of God is like cupped around him like, a, like, like our hands would be around a bug that, doesn't, that we don't want to escape. Now he's not referring us to us as a, as a bug and like God's playing some sort of game with us. He's just given an illustration and understanding that the knowledge of God is cupped about him and he cannot escape it no matter how far he goes or no matter what he wants to do. He cannot escape the fact that God knows every single thing about him. And he says, this is too wonderful for me. It's incomprehensible, he says. It, it's extraordinary is what it means. It's too high for me. It means he cannot prevail over it. It's unattainably high like a, like a wall or a fortress. And there David stands at the base of this, of this this uh, uh, knowledge of God and he starts to be backed into a corner and he recognizes too like that God I can't get around it I can't get over it I, I can't get around the fact that you know every single thing about me and so it's like God was backing him into a corner and you know what it's like and I know what it's like too when somebody restricts us from doing something we don't want to do my first thought is I want to run I don't want to be restricted. I don't want to be backed into a corner. I don't, I, don't want, I, don't want, I don't want that. I don't want anybody knowing everything I'm doing. Come on, I don't want you all knowing what I'm doing. And, and there's times I don't want God knowing what I'm doing. Too bad, Andrew. 
I can't escape it. You can't escape it. David understands. I cannot, I cannot escape it. And, and it's like he had this idea that maybe he, he thought for a fleeting moment that he was going to run. Well, how do you know that? Because in verse number seven, look at it with me. He says, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy, thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. He, he says, really what he's saying is, God, no matter where I go, I cannot escape the presence of God. I cannot, I cannot escape the knowledge of God and I cannot escape the very presence of God. And, and so in order to illustrate this, he gives a couple of rhetorical questions to convey that there's no place to run. And, and he says, he says here, okay, if I ascend up into a heaven, uh, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If he, and he says, if I take wing and I fly out into the sea, God, you are there. There's there nowhere that David could go. David could go from where he is at the speed of light into far outer space in the blink of an eye. He could transport from there to any place on this earth or in space. And guess what? When he arrives in the blink of an eye, God is there. He's there. Because God is not bound by the things that we are bound by. He is not bound by time. He is not bound by space. Come on now, think with me. God is, God is outside of time. In Psalm 57, I believe it is, God says that he, in, he inhabiteth eternity. God is not bound by time. No, he, God sits above and he sees all of time together as though it's happening at one time. He sees, he sees Adam and Eve in the garden and he sees Abraham and he sees Moses and, and he, sees, he sees the kings of Israel and he sees the prophets and he sees the church age. He, he sees the churches of, of, uh, in Revelation and he sees every church beyond that and he sits above time today and he looks in upon this day and in this church and at this hour and at this message and he sees it all as though it's one time. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't know if I believe that. Are you okay with saying God can do something less? I'm not. No, he's everywhere. But it's at this point of the psalm that it's, it's though it starts to change a little bit. It's like the, the tone starts to change. And David realizes that, okay, at one point, maybe the knowledge of God and the attributes of God, the awesome God that he is, uh, it, it made me kind of want to run. But he came to this place where in this section, it's like it starts to change a little bit. And he talks about the hand of God. And, and at this time, it's, he's talking about the, the hand of God that deals with the power and the leading and the guiding. And the verbs go, uh, 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 they change to uh, the word leading, which is the same word lead in Psalm 23 that says lead me beside the still waters and lead me by the paths of righteousness and so now he's recognizing that, that the God that knows everything and the God that is everywhere is there with a leading, guiding, loving shepherding hand he uses the word hold which means to, to hold fast in a place of, of danger and, and now David recognizes that the attributes of God this, this omniscience and this omnipresence is really just a comfort to him and, and he says to him right, right there what he's saying is God it, it, the darkness is light to you I can't escape it God it, I, I, uh, the darkness is a barrier unto me but it's no barrier unto you and that very fact that he sees things in the dark that we cannot see is such a comfort to David and so now the same attributes that restricted David are the same attributes of God that comforted David. And the same attributes of God that made him want to run from God are the same attributes of, of God that, want to, that make him want to run to God. What changed? Well, we learned last week that God is immutable. And he cannot change. So it, it can't be that God changed. It must have been something about David's perspective. And maybe it was something about, about uh, the fact that he recognized his need. 
He recognized that God knows everything and is everywhere. And, and the fact that God knows everything and the fact that God is everywhere truly is both restricting and comforting. Well, you know, I don't really like restrictions and I'm sure many of you don't as well too. Maybe some of you love it. I'm particularly, I don't like it because in my flesh and in just who I am in my flesh, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want. And, and so David didn't like the restrictions because just like everybody else, he wants autonomy. He wants self-governance. He wants to do what he wants and he wants to go where he wants to go. And I'm just saying that, that, that he recognized that the restrictions of God and his attributes, it made him want to run from God because the, 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 the people that want to live outside the knowledge and the presence of God are the same ones that want to live outside of the will of God. Did you catch that? Because those who don't like the fact that God knows everything and, and that God is everywhere and they don't like the restriction of who God is and that he knows our every motive and he knows our every thought uh, are, are the same people that want to live outside of the will of God. And so the fact is that the knowledge and presence of God is restricting. I mean, we, 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 got, we got to be honest about it. The fact that God knows everything, uh, it, it's restricting when you want to do whatever you want to do on your phone or whenever you want to send a direct message that ought not to send. Whenever you're mad at somebody and you want to type up an email and you're about to hit, about hit, to hit send and you know it doesn't please God and you know it's not the right thing to do and there's the restricting knowledge of God and presence of God. It's like he's standing above you and he says, I know what you're about to do and I know what you're about to say and I know your motives behind it when there's hate towards another uh, uh, church member or, or towards a sibling or towards a family member, when you want to lie at work or when you want to lie to your spouse, we got to recognize and understand that God's presence, his attributes uh, are restricting. But he can't be anything else other than that. So something needs to change. And it's not God. And the tendency can be, now, now listen to me, church, the tendency can be that when we recognize the, the omniscience and omnipresence of God, the idea can be, well, I don't like that. I don't like God knowing uh, everything about me. I, I want to put a VPN on God. You can't put a VPN on God. He's everywhere. And he knows everything. And so at one moment... Just since we can't run from him, at one moment, the attributes of God in our life can be restricting. But let's be honest, at, on the other hand, the same attributes of God can be such a comfort to his people. I mean, it's comforting when we're in a place uh, uh, where, where we recognize that we can't live without God. I mean, the, the fact that, that God is always present and that he knows everything about us is such a comfort on one hand, it's restricting, and I don't want it. On the other hand, it's a comfort. I mean, we, we see that today. I mean, like the crazy ideas that, that people have, you know, just the hatred of, of police and, and all that kind of stuff, and the idea of abolishing the police. It, it, it's an absolutely absurd mindset, and it is primarily because people don't want to submit themselves to authority, and anybody that's going to hold them accountable, anybody who's going to say, you can't do that, I'm going to hold you accountable to the, to the rule of law, they don't want anything to do with them. But guess who's the first person to call them when someone comes kicking down their door to rob? So are you telling me that the same people that run from the police are the same people that call the police? Absolutely. Why? Because their need changed. 
or their understanding, their perspective changed on who God, on, on, on who the police are. I mean, that is true of every one of us. That is uh, true of teenagers. We see that all the time where you see these teenagers who think their parents are restricting and they hate them and they just want to keep them in this little bubble and they, they, they just run. Maybe they get old enough and they run from church and then the thing that they're running from God uh, comes up and bites them. Who do they run to? The people who restricted them. And the people who love them, it's because they understand that there's safety in that and there's comfort and it's not this restricting uh, 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 God who's, who, who's uh, putting down his fist and saying, you got to do what I want. No, there's safety in the presence of God. And so, the very fact that God knows everything about you and is always with you is such a comfort to us as believers. It's just about our perspective. It's a comfort when you're lonely and you don't know if anybody cares. I mean, I, th I think there's, an, an, in, in a church this size, I would imagine that it's a big church with some lonely people. And, and, I, and I, I just I want to say to you that, that the very fact that God is all-knowing and is everywhere ought to be a comfort because he knows the fact that you're lonely and, and, and he knows where you are and he is there. And you may not feel like he is there. You may not sense that he is there, but God can be nothing else other than there. And he can, he can know nothing else other than the struggles that you have. He has to know. He's involved in your life. He knows. And, and I understand that there's people who have been genuinely hurt in here. And I, I want to say to you, God knows your pain. And he's with you. And, I, and, and there are people, man, in our church, I, I, I look at our, our, our prayer sheet on Sunday mornings. And I, and I look at the things that we pray about as a staff and as a church. And I see the affliction of God's people. And, and, and we see it's like a new person each week is getting sick or, or, or is having this treatment or that treatment. And they get the bad news from the doctor. And, and in my heart, I, just, I wish I could just, I could do something to alleviate the pain. Or I wish I could wave a magic wand and it would all just go away. But you know and I know that's not a possibility. But what is such a comfort to know that when you get the bad news from the doctor. God is there. And you may be hurting, but God knows. And so, on one hand, we can run from God's attributes. On the other hand, we can run to the same attributes. It just depends on our perspective and our need. You with me? And now David, it's like, it's like he he sees this truth about God as he, as he uh, meditates on it and it brings him to this wonderful realization about God's work in his life. And he says in verse number 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And so when he talks about possessed, he just means that you've, you've created my reins. It's, the reins has to do with the inner being. It's like the soul or the spirit. And so he says, God, you've created my soul. Do you think about that? I mean, come on, we think about oftentimes that God created our flesh and he created our body, but God is the creator of our soul, our very soul, God created it. And then he says, you covered me in my mother's womb. It has the idea of being knit together. And he's saying, God, you put me together in my mother's womb. You were there. Not only did you make my soul, but you made my, my body as well. 
And the Lord saw what David would become when he was even yet in the womb. And we talked a little bit about that. He, and it's like he, he, he breaks out and he says, he rejoices in the fact that he is fearfully and wonderfully made and that he is marvelous in God's eyes and God has worked to, to fashion him and to create his soul and his body is almost too much for David to handle. And at this point, he just bursts out and says, God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's like this, uh, this idea of awe. It's awe-inspiring that, that, that God created him and, and he just comes back and he sits down. It's like he sits and says, God, this is awesome. In the truest sense of the word, it's awesome. And he says, David, he was not hidden from God when he was in the womb. God saw him even then. He says, then I did see my substance. And the word see means to oversee or to superintend. That God superintended or organized David's life when he was yet unperfect. So the, like we said, it's the embryo. And God knew and God oversaw and God organized and God superintended David and what he was going to become in the womb. God knew how tall David would be. God knew that he would be ruddy. God knew that he would, or the color of his eyes. God knew how many fingers he would have in the length. God knew how many hairs he would have on his head at every stage of his life. God knows. God knew David. And David is just overwhelmed and, 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 and awe-inspired by the fact that God knows everything about him. And so he just bursts out in this idea and says, God, how precious, in verse number 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of, sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I awake. I am still with thee. He, he's just saying, God, your thoughts of me are, are precious. And the thoughts has to do with the intentions. The fact that he understood and recognized that God, from the womb, had thoughts of David and good intentions for the life of David. He knew he was going to be king. No, he knew from the, from, the, from the conception and even before that David was going to be the king of Israel. He knew every battle he was going to face. He knew what he was going to make him to be. And God ordained that for his life. God was involved in the life of David. Intricately involved. David didn't happen by chance. David was a very plan of God. And his plan for David's life, and ours may not be the same, but his plan for David's life is that he was going to be born to Jesse and that he was going to be uh, uh, someday the king of Israel and that he was going to have to run and he was going to have to do all the things that he did. It was God's plan for David's life. God's hand was upon David. Intricately involved in every step, in every manner, God was involved. I'm so thankful that God is involved. And I'm just, I'm just saying to us that we have to acknowledge that God is intricately involved in every aspect of our life. And at conception, you were a living being with a purpose. A living being with a purpose. In Jeremiah 1.5, uh, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God knew before he was born what he was going to do with this man. God knows. Because he's involved. And God knew everything about you before you were born. And you may not like the way you look, but God created you. And you may wish you were taller, but God created you. You may not like your personality, but God created you. 
And he knew how tall you would be. And he knew the color of your eyes. And, and he, he, he knew every single thing that there is to know about you. And not just did he create you, but he has a purpose and a plan for your, for your life. And by the way, God's intentions and God's thoughts towards you are precious. They're rare. They're as but the sand of the sea. And you might think, well, that's true of David. And that's true of people like uh, Paul. And that's true of people in the ministry. No, I am saying God does not love one more than the other. He does not love David more than he loves anybody any single person in this auditorium. I am saying to you on the authority of God's word that the, that, that the intentions that he had toward David, he has similar intentions towards you. And the fact that he wants to ordain your life and he has got a purpose and a plan for you. He's involved. He is not passive. He did not spin the world into existence and, and create you and then put you on this earth and say, good luck. And so, since God is intricately involved in making you the person that you are, creating you in the womb, knowing what you're going to be like, God is certainly intricately involved in your daily decisions. And I'm so thankful that he knows everything about me. I really am. Because he knows what I need. And I don't know what I need. I mean, I think I know what I need, but I recognize, it's like I recognize new each week that I think I know what I need and God says, no, you don't. This is what you need. And if I, if I latched onto the things that I think I need, I'd be in a bad place in my life because I think I need this and God says, no, you need that. I'm so thankful that he knows. He knows me. He created me. He knows me better than I know me. He, better, he knows me better than anybody knows me. He, he knows what I need. I'm so thankful that he's everywhere because no matter how low I get in this world or no matter how far I, I get spiritually from God, he is still there. He hasn't left me. I may have left him, but he has not left me. And God cares about your sorrow. And he cares about your pain. And he cares about the things that you're going for and, and I, 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 going through. And I know, man, alive, the, the, the age range that I, the Lord has allowed me to minister in, which is the 18 to whatever. To whatever. College age. I mean, I, I remember living life, just living life however I want, not, not even recognizing, not even thinking to ask, God, do you have a plan for my life? And the whole time, while I could care less about God's plan for my life, he had good thoughts and intentions for my life. I didn't give him a second thought. No, were you saved? I was saved. I was saved as a boy, but I didn't give any attention or thought to the fact that God has precious thoughts of me or that God wants to direct my life and he wants to lead my, my life to, to some place. I had no thoughts about who God was. I'm so thankful that when I wasn't thinking about God's intentions for my life, he was thinking about his intentions for my life. And I know there's, there's college-age students that are here that, man, I, I, I just want to encourage you that God cares who you marry. Now, there's this idea going around that, man, there's this girl and she loves God and there's this girl that she loves God and there's that person and they love God. Well, you know, you just choose and you pick. I don't, I don't, I don't see that in the Word of God anywhere. I, I see God leading and guiding and directing people to a person that they are supposed to spend their life with. God cares. Don't just go out and pick anybody you want. Please, I'm, I'm telling you. You don't know what you need. But the omniscient God knows. But get, Brother Andrew, I'm all by myself. Uh, excuse me. He's omnipresent. He is there. He has not left you. 
And, and God cares where you go to college. And God cares where you work. And, and God cares who your friends are. He's involved. He's not a distant father. He's not passive. He's involved. He cares who your friends are. He cares who, who you hang out with. He cares what you watch on TV. He cares where you go. He's involved in our lives. And since God is involved in every aspect of our life, and he can be nothing else other than that, how do you think we should respond to that? Well, what did David say? You can look in verse number 19, and he goes into this, this, uh, this discourse where he says, uh, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Do you see that? Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take uh, uh, thy name in vain. Uh, do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Now don't, word, don't let the idea of hatred uh, uh, trip you up or, or be a stumbling block to you. He's just saying this. God, the people that hate you, I'm just rejecting them. The, the people who speak wickedly against you. I want them away from me. God, I'm going to do my part. And yes, they're speaking sinfully and they're speaking blasphemously and they're speaking uh, wrongfully about you, God, and they hate you, God. And therefore, because they hate you, I'm going to hate them with a perfect hatred. I'm going to hate their hate towards you. And therefore, God, because they hate you, I'm going to reject them. But you know what the problem I see oftentimes is that Christians embrace those who hate God. We embrace Hollywood like they're our friend. And I'm telling you, when Hollywood is done with Christianity and they're done with our pocketbooks, they will throw us away like a dirty rag. They don't care. And we embrace the people that reject our God as though it's no big deal. As though God's not there. As though God doesn't see. We do that. But David says, God, because of who you are and because you're involved in my, my daily life and because you created me and because of all of who you are, because you are an awesome God that's intricately involved in my life, I'm going to reject those that reject you, God. Let me, let me just, let me, let me, I'm not saying we need to be mean, okay, when it comes to the world. I don't, I don't think that at all. I think we need to be kind. I think that we need to be nice. I think that we need to be loving. And I think we need to leave the door open for them to come to us when, when, when life gets difficult. But I am telling you this, we cannot embrace the things that hate God or the people that hate God. We must reject them. And he says, um, God, in verse number 23, <clears throat> Search me. It's like, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm, I'm going to remove myself from those. I'm going to separate myself from those who hate you. Now, God, here's something I can't do. I can't look in on my heart. Not like you can. Because the darkness is light to you. And so, God, I'm going to do my part, and I know you'll do yours. God, search me. He says, no, my heart. Try. So the word search, it has, it has to do with the search the unsearchable. He recognizes that there are things in his life that he cannot come to conclusions about or write conclusions about. And he says, God, search me. Search the unsearchable heart. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? God, I can't, but you can. Search me out. 
Know my heart, know the good, know the evil. God, try, it means to scrutinize, to examine through and through and see if there be any wicked way in me. And the wicked, it really, it just means this, pain. Find out anything in my life that's going to bring me pain because wickedness brings pain. Find any wicked way in me. God, find anything that is going to bring my life this wickedness. And I, I need you to do so and lead me to the way everlasting. Lead me to the way that endures, God. And so really what David did is he, he responded to the awesome involvement, God's awesome involvement in his life by simply aligning his life with the character of God. No, he, 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 he took his life and he said, God, I know this. I know that this is who you are. And I know that you are everywhere. And that I know that you are always present. And I know you know everything about me. And there's nothing that can, that can escape who you are. And I know that you know about me and that you're intricately involved in my life. And because God, because you are everywhere, because you are awesome, because you know everything, I am simply going to do this. I'm going to take my life and align my life with what I know to be true about your character. Man, if we would do that in our Christian lives. Success. We'd be a successful Christian if we just aligned our life with what we know to be true about God. We don't, hey, we don't need new things. We need to do what we know. And I, but I, I think it's, it's our tendency to realize God's awesome involvement in our lives and yet live in a way that does not reflect his character. Did you catch that? We recognize who God is and we recognize he's holy and we recognize he sees. But yet we live in a way that doesn't reflect who he is. And I, I think we can do it in several ways, a couple different ways. We can, we can really just disregard the character of God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, God, I know you're here and I know you see and I know you're holy, but what I want to do is what I want to do. So I'm just going to disregard your character and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. That's a dangerous place. But you know what else we can do? We can attempt to change the character of God. We, we, we can attempt to change the unchangeable one. We can say, you know, I mean, this is going on in Christianity today. It's going on about the whole grace of God. And which one of us here is not going to talk about how wonderful the grace of God is? We love the grace of God, but come on, it, it gets misconstrued. To, the grace of God gets misinterpreted to align with somebody's desired character rather than God's character. And they say, oh, come on, you, it's the grace of God. You can go sin. You can sin how you want. You can do whatever you want. And there's the grace of God that's always going to deliver you. And they never come to the recognition or to the understanding or to the acknowledgement that God's grace is not there to keep sinning, but God's grace is there to keep us from sinning. But in Christianity today, we, we can do that. I mean, it's going on in Christianity too with, with things about alcohol, that Christians distort the word of God and they, and they make light of Jesus uh, turning the water into wine and they say that Jesus was at some drunken party and taking part in that and putting alcohol to the lips of people. And I, it just takes one verse to say, uh, uh, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Well, if you're not wise, what are you? You're a fool. That's enough for me. I'm out. And people, people want to misconstrue the, the word of God and change the character of God and act as though God is okay with drunkenness. And he is not. And because somebody reads a book or because someone reads an article of a, of a person who is presupposed to, to desire alcohol to be okay and they come and they twist the word of God and they take things out of context and they say, no, God's okay with us drinking. No, God is not okay. And what's happening is you're attempting to change the holy nature of God to fit your lifestyle. 
We could do those things. Or we can simply just align our life with who God is. Um, It's our manner of life that should reflect the character of God. That's really what we ought to get down to here today. Is your life reflecting properly the character of God and and what you know to be true about him? Would you say that your life matches up with what you know to be true about God? I think this is what David is getting to and what he's boiling it down to is our manner of life ought to reflect the character of God. Okay, would you all stand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Brunness is going to come and lead us in a song, but I I just wonder if there's some some people here that that maybe you're away from God and maybe you've embraced the things that the world has to offer and and, and maybe what you need to do is you need to come to an altar and you just need to to reject it. You need to separate yourself from it. Maybe there's some that are here today that are saying, you know what I need to do? I need to come before God and I just, I I, I try to live right, but there's, there's, it's been a while since I've come to the altar and I've just said to God, search me. Search my life. Find any wickedness in me. Find anything that's going to bring my family trouble, any, my, my family pain, my marriage pain, my Christian life pain. God, search me, find it, get it out of my life. I wonder if there's some people here today, and I'd imagine that there is. And so I want to encourage you, as we, uh, after our word of prayer, we're going to have the invitation. I'd encourage you to come and talk with the Lord about it. Father, thank you for the word of God, and thank you for being who you are. I don't know how else to ex- express it other than that, that, that you're everything that we need and more. You're infinite and <clears throat> you know every detail about our life. And I'm so thankful that you're intricately involved in everything that we do. I'm thankful that you know every <clears throat> experience, painful experience that we have and every joy and I'm thankful that you know and that you're with us through all of these things, God. I am grateful for that, Lord. And really, we're left with no other response other than just to line up with who you are. So pray that you help us, Lord. Pray that it's been a help to your people here tonight. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.